although this is a podcast that claims to take nothing seriously, some subjects are genuinely serious and need to be treated seriously, and this episode touches on some of those topics. We've included a detailed content note for this episode in the description. Please take a moment to read that before continuing. Do you have any memory of what happens to Hector? He dies, doesn't he? Yes. In, in what manner does he die? He gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm James. And we're your hosts for Not, Not Another, Another Shakespeare, Shakespeare Podcast. The podcast that takes neither itself nor Shakespeare very seriously. And today is a very special episode because we have a very special guest host. Her name is Charlene V. Smith. She is a director, actor, and scholar who's been living in the Washington, D.C. area for about 15 years. She's the co-founder and artistic director of Brave Spirits Theatre, which very sadly closed last year in the pandemic. But at that point... She was midway through a very epic project to stage Shakespeare's eight history plays from Richard II to Richard III in repertory. Um, and those productions have been reimagined as audio dramas, which we're hoping to see out later this year. Super exciting. Her work has been published in a variety of academic and academic adjacent places. Um, and we will probably link some of those in the show notes for you. And she is also a fantastic actor. Um, and she's just a fantastic person. We met at a, at a Shakespeare conference a couple of years ago. And we've stayed in touch ever since. And she's here today to talk about Troilus and Cressida, which is a random play that she happens to have taught <laughs> to a directing class at Mary Baldwin <laughs> University last year. And so I thought, let's leap on the fact that somebody I know knows a lot about Troilus and Cressida right now, because how often does that happen? Almost never. <laughs> so welcome, Charlene. Thank you. Hi, everybody. That was such a lovely introduction. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. We're happy to have you. I'm very happy to talk to you both. Excellent. So tell us about teaching Troilus and Cressida. What was that like? Well, I was doing a co-taught class or like a collaboratively taught class. And our idea was our teaching philosophy would model the kind of directing we were trying to explore, which is a collaborative room. And so I taught the first third of the class, which focused on initial analyzing of the play and also thinking about how we wrestle with Shakespeare today with the, the sort of concerns and interests we have and our audiences have and how we respond to his material. Hmm. And this is a, a rich play for that. Well, I think that's why we picked it, because um, the three of us who were teaching the course, um, none of us had directed it, you know, so we didn't want to play where we had set opinions on it as the instructors yet. And mm. we felt like this play, yes, had very fruitful areas for discussion. <laughs> yes. Uh, we were out last night with some friends two of whom happened to be early modernists. And I mentioned that we were recording this today. And they said to James, like, oh, you're in for a treat. You're in for a wild ride. It's such a hilarious play. It's such a good play. Um, and I was like, is it? I don't I don't know. Like, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I'm on board with like, oh yeah, it's a really hilarious play. It's a really fun play. 
I don't know. I think it's the opposite of fun. (laughs) I mean, it's the Trojan War. How fun can it be? I think I was talking to my friend Kelly about it, and she was like, oh, I think this is one of those plays where you find, like, the few diehard fans who are like, oh, Troilus and Cressida is my favorite. And I'm like, I don't think I've met anyone who said that, but apparently (laughs) you have friends that are really into it. It's a hipster play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I don't know if they're like necessarily really into it, but they, um, they were both like, oh yeah, it's such a funny play. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I mean, I understand having reread it that there are scenes that are supposed to be funny, but I, yeah, I don't know that I come to the, come to the end of that play and go, oh yeah, what a great funny play. Yeah. It's, Is it supposed to be? Well, maybe. Well, uh, yeah. Well. Or maybe not. There's um, really interestingly two different uh, printings of it that yes. come out at exactly the same time. So the um, the quarto printing, which is like your sort of paperback copy of the play, when that gets published in checking my notes, Charlene, if you know, oh, yeah, sixteen oh nine, sixteen oh nine. There's two different like imprints of it, basically. And one has a title page that says it's never been staged before and it's a comedy. And another one has a title page that is really uh, hot on the fact that it's been staged multiple times by the Kingsmen and doesn't front the comedy so much. It actually describes it as a history. And then in the folio, it's described as a tragedy on the title. Right. Or it's sort of like weirdly between categories in the folio. Yeah. So is it a comedy? Is it a history? Is it a tragedy? We don't know. Tragical, comical, pastoral, historical? Right. And I, I mean, in modern scholarship, you'll see it described as a tragic comedy, a problem play, or a satire. So no mm-hmm. one can agree on what the tone and genre of this play is. Yeah. And I think that's reflected in the play itself. That is Absolutely. how I felt reading it. Like, definitely act one, coming back to it after a really long time of not having read this play. I I was definitely like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> How am I supposed to feel about this? Yes. Yeah. It was so interesting revisiting it to teach it because I think it, it it's a play that I assumed I would direct someday because of the the sort of gendered politics. It seemed kind of ripe for for me to pick apart but rereading mm. it to teach it I was like I don't see my way in like I couldn't find a hook so I found it really difficult um mm. from that point of view yeah and it's a sort of I mean I don't know enough about the history of it to to know if this is deliberate but it feels to me like a very random slice of the Trojan War to yes. write a play about yeah <laughs> It, as the prologue 10 years us, of it, material you know it begins in the middle and it also ends in the middle mm-hmm. um, it's a very purposely unsatisfying end hmm. and it i think on all counts as well like it's not satisfying yes. in in the war sense it's not satisfying in the love story sense yeah it's not we really just get kind of no resolution yeah and you get really stuck in if you want it to be a love story or a romance, because the play subverts that expectation and the mm-hmm. ability to even follow that story to a conclusion. Yeah, to any conclusion. Like, yeah. Not even a satisfying or unsatisfying one. 
but yeah, but we're we're spoiling it a little bit, James. So I don't want to jump too fast <laughs> Uh-oh. ahead. Uh oh. <laughs> so yeah, let's start at the beginning. How how does the play start? It starts with a prologue. Um, the best kind of start. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> it's actually I I don't know. The prologue might be the best part of the play. Um, so a prologue comes out on, on stage and is like, hey, we're in Troy. There's a war going on. I hope you like this play. Don't judge me. And then <laughs> yeah, pretty the, much. you go in. <laughs> that is, I mean, it's like the wrestling from As You Like It. It is, um, it opens with a bang of right. somebody being like, all right, here's this thing. We're in the middle of the Trojan War, which I'm just going to assume that you all know a lot about. Mm, is it like in a galaxy far, far away? It yeah, is a bit like bit. that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like the scroll text at the start of, <laughs> <laughs> start of Star Wars, but like with a, a disclaimer on the end that's like, if it's good or bad, you can't blame me. I'm just the prologue. Right. Right. Okay. So he's ast- asterisking it early. Yes. yes. Yeah. Don't blame me. <laughs> it makes you wonder like if Shakespeare is just like, I don't know, man, I had to get paid this month. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Yeah. Ugh. All right, so we get the prologue. We get told that this might or might not be a good play. I don't know. You guys figure it out. <laughs> and then uh, enter Troilus of the yeah. title yeah. and Pandarus. And Troilus mm-hmm. talks about how he's in love with this um, Greek woman, Cressida. And Pandarus is like, oh, I think we can do something about that. Mm-hmm. Because Pandarus is her uncle. Yes. Right. Okay. That's Uncle's the other setting thing. up. Yeah. There's... This is another play where everyone's related to each other. It's also confusing right. keeping track of who's Trojan and who's Greek, right? Because it's mm. a play full of generals and soldiers, and all of their names start with the letter A. So <laughs> <laughs> remembering who is on what side is half yes. the battle if you will this is it and you have people who are traitors so Cressida's dad is Trojan but he's defected to the Greeks right and then you have Helen of Troy who is not really of Troy because she's Greek which is why they're having the war in the first place yes that's right right. Cressida is Trojan but she I was jumping ahead in the plot I'll leave that yeah (laughs) (laughs) she ends up with the Greeks um but yeah, so they're kind of having this conversation comparing Helen and Cressida, which yes. is a kind of a weird thing to do, <laughs> I yeah. think. Mm. It's a, because Helen of Troy is, well, tell me, James, no. what, what do you know about Helen of Troy? Isn't she very beautiful? Yes. Isn't Helen of Troy known and Cressida is what fictional or is she real? What's the deal? I don't know. I don't know, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not familiar with sort of source information like how much Shakespeare took from other things Mm. and how much he invented himself yeah I think a lot of it's from Chaucer's version isn't it yes that's true but I don't know where Chaucer gets the story from right either way it sounds like he's you know pinning on people knowing Helen of Troy and then using that to kind of be like yeah you know who Helen of Troy is right well this is Cressida yeah, there's this mix of like legend and legendary characters with 
sort of characters just for this story, I think. Yeah. And there's, it's like further complicated by the fact that we, I think we still don't really know if Troy was actually a real place and the Trojan War ever even happened. Right. Yeah. No horse. Well, we don't know. Is it because is it's like because we get it from the Iliad and the Odyssey and those sorts of and the Aeneid and like those sorts of epic poems. It's like, well, is this historical? Is this literary? Is that like what is what is this? Mm. Is this like ancient Star Trek or is this like a true crime documentary? We don't know. Mm. We don't 100 percent know. There's people that that like really think Troy was real and there's people who really don't. So mm. contested. It just disappointed me with that fact. Really? Oh. Well, I like the idea of a giant horse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel like you've just told me that Santa Claus doesn't exist. James, we um we have to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Not the tooth fairy. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm I'm the one who's been leaving <laughs> coins under your pillow. <laughs> but that's a good point that like Helen of Troy is somebody that is recognizable to yeah. an audience, even if they don't know much about Greek history and, or, or and Greek still mythology. To this day, recognizable like that part of the story most people yes. know. Yes, so we know who Helen of Troy is. We maybe don't know who Cressida is, but she's being compared to Helen, and she's the comparison is very favorable for Cressida, right? Like they're saying that Cressida is at least as beautiful as Helen, if not more beautiful, all through the language of extreme whiteness, yes. which is really uh, like whacked me in the face when I reread this. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. We talked about this on Twitter. You know? mm -hmm. Gotten some fights on Twitter about yeah. this. <laughs> Yeah, people um, really are reluctant to believe that something can be a convention of language and also racist at the same time, which blows my mind because surely that's where the a lot of the racism in our well, language that's how it comes gets baked from. In. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, also that's... the whole point of the convention is that white is superior, which hey, that equals white supremacy pretty directly there. Yeah. That is kind of the definition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you see it a lot in this play. There's there's just a lot of talk of fair and white skin um, mm. that pops up a lot. Versus, yeah. you know, there's references to brown and things yeah, there's like a, that. There's a speech where somebody says that, oh, all the Greeks are sunburned. Aren't they so ugly yeah. because they're sunburned? Mm. Um, because their skin is dark. It's, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's racist. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's a the line that I love slash hate from Act 1, Scene 1 is where uh, Troilus is talking about Cressida and comparing her. He he's basically says, like, oh, you're, you're saying she's fair. What I'm saying is that she's more than fair. She's, like, so white. And he says, oh, that her hand, um, in whose comparison all whites are ink writing their own reproach. Yeah. So she is so white that wow. everything else that's white looks like dark ink compared to her. And that's apparently why she's so beautiful, because she's super white. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. Wow. such a strange compliment. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for someone who's Greek. 
Yes. Right? Yes. Thank you. These are Mediterranean <laughs> We're people. In the Mediterranean, right. <laughs> we're, we're in my homeland here. I can tell you. <laughs> Nobody's that white. It's, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty blatant. Um, yeah. So they kind of, they spend a long time comparing Cressida and Helen. And then Aeneas comes in and he's like, hey, Troilus, buddy, how come you're not fighting today? Why aren't you in the battle? Troilus is um, the youngest son of King Priam. So this yeah. is like, I feel like we need to rail ourselves in here and remind ourselves what the Trojan War is. Priam is the king of Troy. He, in the mythology, in the epic poems, he has 50 sons, right? Wow. Something like that. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of sons. It's a lot of sons. It's even more sons than Edward III. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all thought had a lot of sons. Yeah. Is that like his full-time job then is just populating the species? <laughs> populating Troy. That's yeah. the, the duty of the king. Yeah. He's it's and I who knows like what the ages of these sons are because Hector's supposed to be the oldest. And Troilus is supposed to be the youngest, but Hector is like sort of in the prime of his life and is, is this kind of really renowned warrior. Yeah. And Troilus is old enough to be in love with Cressida. So, which I feel like usually I, in productions, they're sort of seen as teenage to early 20s. So, yeah, I just I feel like more women than Hecuba have to be involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For this to work. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah poor um woman. so yeah <laughs> poor hecuba i feel so bad for her all the women in this play let's oh, be honest yes. all the women all the women in troy <laughs> all the women in troy <laughs> all the greek women everybody everyone with a vagina involved in this war yeah just has a terrible time yeah it's and not like, not a good place to be you want so much the characters show up and you're like oh tell me more and then they disappear and yeah. you're like wait that's all we get <laughs> Cassandra just like wanders in, says a thing, wanders out again. Well, Andromache right. doesn't show up till act five. Right. I, right? I think she, Helen has one scene mm -hmm. and then Andromache and Cassandra, one of them has one scene and one of them has two scenes. Yep. They were short on boys that year in the company, maybe. Mm. Like, all your boy actors were on holiday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's not a it's not a great play for women. Um, but we anyway, the point of uh, that was to say that Troilus sort of should have been in the battle that day, but he isn't because he's pining for Cressida. And Aeneas, who is not a son of Priam, but is important because he founds the Roman race of people in the next book in the series in the Aeneid after the Trojan War. So he's a character that people would know. He's in this quite a lot. Um, and he comes in and, and says that Paris got hurt in the battle today and he's just come home. And I think this is referring to the scene where, like, Paris goes out to battle for the first time and totally flubs it and Menelaus, like, really hurts him. Is that right? I think so. This is, it's been a long time since I did the Iliad. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Troilus is kind of annoyed by this. He's like, let Paris bleed. <laughs> yeah. His brother, his they own brother. They don't seem to get along super well. No, although they're on the same side in the sort of trolley problem scene later, yes. so... Who knows? So Paris is his brother. Yes. So what, what number is he in naught to 50? <laughs> Troilus is 50, yeah. but I don't know where Paris is. Somewhere And else. where are the other 47? Yeah, we only I mean, meet like five of them. A lot of them are probably dead from the war. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we're seven years into the Trojan War at this point, so. 
just them three left. Yeah, four. There's another one that, who pops up. Um, I can't remember what he's called. Well, the, when we get to the scene where the, the big family argument is. Yeah. I call it the trolley problem scene. Trolley problem? <laughs> yeah. Would they, know, like, steal a trolley supermarket? No, it's, you know that... that um, uh, philosophy and ethics thing where it's like if you have control of a trolley and it's heading towards it's going to hit one person or it's going to hit a group of people but it has to hit somebody which one is the more ethical choice oh right, right. they covered this on the good place why is it a trolley i don't know because <laughs> the person who came up with it liked trolleys <laughs> liked trolleys oh lived in a place with trolleys it's hellenus that's the other son that hellenus but he doesn't yes. have much to say so you kind of forget no. about him and Margariton? Margariton? I don't know. Oh. Mm. And Daphoebus. There's a yeah, there's a bunch of brothers. Where where we fail to have enough merry wives, we we have a bunch of brothers in this play. Oh. <sighs> okay. So Act One, Scene One. <laughs> <We're> <laughs> I know it's like we're making good time. <laughs> we're doing great. <laughs> um then we get to meet Cressida. Yep. And we sort of and get then, a uh, like a response to the first scene because when we meet Cressida, she and Pandarus talk about the men of the Trojan army there as they pass by, and we find out that Cressida also has a crush on Troilus. Yes, but she's not admitting it. The whole scene is this kind of like she's sort of burning Troilus, and then when Pandarus leaves, she's like, Actually, I am in love with him though. Wow, love at first sight. I guess. I don't know how much they have to do with each other before. It seems like maybe they've been aware of each other for a while, but I don't think they've really spoken to each other ever. Mm. I also, I, I uh, made a note on this scene because I think this is quite a rare occurrence that Cressida, a female character, has the very first soliloquy in the play. Yes, but it's mm. her only soliloquy. Yes. First and last. <laughs> and the men talk so much in this play. As we will get on to in the very next scene, in fact. So yeah, Troilus loves Cressida. Cressida loves Troilus. Pandarus is going to try and get them together. Mm. Summary of the first two scenes. And, and thus the plot of the play is kicked off. Yes. And we get a very helpful parade of dudes in the Trojan army so that we will recognize them later. One would hope. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So she and Pandarus are standing there and he's like, oh, look, Aeneas is walking ah. by. Let's talk about Aeneas for a bit. Oh, it's another it's- one of, you know what we're talking about here, audience. Yes. yes. It's these guys. <laughs> yeah. Previously on the Trojan War. <laughs> yeah. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then we meet the Greeks. We meet the Greeks mm. and they argue amongst themselves. There's a lot of quarreling in this play on either side. Yeah. The Greeks, though, have a tendency to quarrel in, like, 50-line speeches. Oh, my gosh. Right. I mean, this is how Ulysses has, like, the third biggest part of the play, and he has nothing to do with the plot. And it's because Mm -hmm. every time he opens his mouth, he delivers 50 lines of text. He just, I mean, he can't shut up. He does not shut up. Ugh. He's very, I mean, so Ulysses Odysseus is supposed to be like the wisdom, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be the one who like is very cunning and clever. He's the one who got Achilles to come when Achilles didn't want to come to the war. He's the one who comes up with the Trojan horse idea later. He's wily. 
he's don't they call him? I think they call him the wolf in the Iliad because he's he's sly like a wolf, but he really does not shut up. And he sort of he famously has a speech that gets pulled out of this play a lot, where he t- talks about the order of the universe, more or less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and everybody's about, always like, "Oh, what an amazing speech!" Well, it's really about how we all belong in a hierarchy, which is problematic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. He's not like a great person. I always, I couldn't help um, because I love Madeline Miller's books. Oh yeah, um, and I read the Song of Achilles a couple years ago, and I couldn't help just like thinking of that the whole time I was rereading this, and just the fact that like even when we're doing sort of woke Achilles, which is what that book is basically, I love it very much. <laughs> That's kind of kind of what it is. Even then, Odysseus Ulysses comes off as an asshole. <laughs> There's just kind of like no way to make him appealing. <laughs> right. So they talk a lot and they basically they're they're trying to figure out why the war isn't over yet. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we have this huge army. We've been laying siege to Troy for seven years. We should have won by now. Why aren't we winning? And Ulysses comes to the conclusion that it's because Achilles won't fight. Mm hmm. And he's he's too proud and he's too full of himself. And if only Achilles would fight, they would win the war very quickly. Uh, one man. Yes. <laughs> well, and right, the whole thing is part of the reason Achilles doesn't want to fight right now is Patroclus is, has asked him not to. And Patroclus is his lover, sort of companion, right? It's... um. Yeah, depends whose version of the myths you're reading. Yeah, but I I think pretty obvious that they're together. Yeah, you, James, you're always doing lewd gestures on this podcast. You know, <laughs> you know that I'm the only them. one that can see them, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Achilles um doesn't want to fight because Patroclus is afraid that he will die, um, which is fair. Yep. So, mm-hmm. you know, decade long war. So he's there, but sort of under duress. And he, he had to get dragged in in the first place. He didn't want to fight in the war. Um, but Ulysses is convinced that, like, if we could just get Achilles on the field, that would turn everything around. Mm-hmm. So they are trying to come up with a plan for how to get Achilles to fight. And it's just such a long scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but conveniently, Aeneas arrives. Yep. And, uh, well, Charlene, tell us what what Aeneas is there for. Well, he comes to deliver a challenge, right? Yes. Yeah. He, Hector, has, who's the the oldest son of Priam, so Trojan, basically the Trojan Achilles, right? He's the the guy on Troy's side who is uh, supposed to be the big hero. Yeah. And Hector is kind of personally challenging Achilles to single combat, but doesn't say that it's to Achilles. So he says, anyone who's brave enough to fight me individually, come and fight me. And they all immediately see right through that. And they say, well, this is obviously a challenge to Achilles. However, Ulysses decides that it would be better. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what the word. (laughs) Yeah. If if Achilles and Hector don't fight, he having just been like, we need to get Achilles in this war. (laughs) 
<clears throat> yeah, he decides instead they should send Ajax to fight Achilles mm-hmm. instead. Yeah. Yeah. Which is supposed to like, I, I think he's basically saying if Ajax gets defeated, then we still have Achilles in our back pocket. Right. We know Achilles will beat Hector. So well, and isn't there also a thing where it's like, and if Ajax is successful, it will embarrass Achilles. Right. And then he will want to fight. Yeah. Because his pride will be hurt that someone else is the hero. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, to be fair, kind of. <laughs> he would he would react that way. Yeah. So yeah, Ulysses sees it as a kind of win-win for the Greeks, doesn't he? That Achilles doesn't go right out to fight Hector, that they send Ajax first. Yeah. And that's <laughs> act one of five. Mm. Woo! And Act Five is eleven scenes long. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is this is like the third longest play in the canon. Ooh. So like that what's, doesn't. What's yeah. the longest? Is it Hamlet or is I it think Hamlet. it must Lear. it must be Folio Hamlet surely. Mm. Yeah. Hamlet and Lear, and then this one. <laughs> could could be. It's definitely <laughs> up there. It's up there. It's a long one. You need and to I'll, cram in all those lines of men speaking that's what you gotta do yeah (laughs) (laughs) well and it's i mean i don't know if you talked about this with your students charlene but i just from reading it and without kind of putting too much effort into it i did really feel like a lot of it could be cut oh yeah yeah it's a very bloated play well and and i think all these that's definitely not the sections the students were interested in like all this (laughs) generals talking about how we win the war (laughs) was not the scene anyone was like yes Mm. i'm gonna work on that scene what you're telling me 20 year olds aren't that into 50 line speeches from agamemnon (laughs) surprisingly no what a shock yeah it's like you don't go to the cinema see like a war film to watch the generals talk about their strategy you go there to watch people getting blown up like surely yeah yes (laughs) but that's sort of another way in which this play is full of like anti-climaxes and unresolved moments is that there's actually very little fighting overall Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah and even when there is it's mostly like being described secondhand yeah um, so yeah, so James is rolling his eyes because that's his least favorite thing that Shakespeare does. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it happens quite a lot. It does. Well, like important things that you think could have like stage time. You're re- and- referring specifically to the lion from As You Like It. <laughs> yeah, but there was yeah. another one, wasn't there? Like <laughs> Ross talks about something important in Macbeth as well, and all of this kind of things that you think would be quite interesting or you know i think quite captivating to to stage and yet they're just oh we'll just get some random guy on who's just gonna you know give us the spiel but then they i mean i wonder if part of that is because they don't have the time to stage it yeah or the the technology right Right. like Mm -hmm. you're it's i mean in the in on one hand it's kind of a classical convention so the greek theater yeah Typically, your deaths and your battles happen offstage and the chorus or somebody else sort of talks about them. Um, so like in Oedipus, right, we don't 
see Oedipus gouge his eyes out. We don't see Jocasta die. They come on and they tell us about that after the fact. So it's right. in one way, it's sort of sort of an homage to that kind of classical form okay. of theater. But also you've got, I don't know, 10, 12 actors in a company. Um, they're probably doubling roles. So to stage a big battle, mm. it's, you know, it's not as easy. And especially when your rehearsal time is quite constrained as well. It's not like you're, you know, you don't have a kind of six week dedicated rehearsal period. You're kind of, you know, you're running in repertory. So you're just churning out new plays all the time. Yeah, you can see why. But it, it's from our perspective, it is um, kind of hilarious that you're like, mm. wait, that really exciting thing. <laughs> we're, just, yeah. we're just not going to see that. Yeah. Um, speaking of the random guy who reports on things, we are about to meet Thersites. Thersites. Yeah. Is it Thersites or Thersites? I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I, I always there's... say Thersites in my head. Yeah, but... I would. Th- I said Thersites in my head, but it, I think Thersites is probably more accurate Greek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Thersites is weird because we already have this one potentially sort of clown figure outside figure in Pandarus and then a second one shows up in Thersites and they sort of it's like they battle over who who is the one commenting on the action and it mm. trades back and forth yeah and sort of who's more ridiculous yeah I feel like they're yeah we almost have a clown on each side of the war we've got a Greek one and we've got a Trojan one yeah yeah, the um, we're not there yet, but the scene where Pandarus is like bringing Troilus and Cressida together, and they're like making out, and he won't leave. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> Why are you still here? Um, but it is that kind of like in in a place where they maybe shouldn't be commenting on what we are seeing or what they're seeing that we can't see. Um, but in this scene, Thersites is pretty much just bugging Ajax. Yeah. I mean, Thersites <laughs> just kind of shows up and says insulting things about people. Yeah. That's his, that's most of his job. <laughs> and he's, he's being really um, rude to Ajax. Ajax is trying to get his attention and Thersites is like, what? Is there a, does anyone hear something? An annoying buzzing noise. <laughs> yeah. But picture like Ajax, picture like the rock, right? Like Ajax. The is, rock. Yeah. <laughs> Picture like Dwayne Johnson, like he's Ajax is supposed to be massive. He's supposed mm. to be like super strong, like just a sort of blunt instrument, brute force kind of warrior. It's actually we don't have clarity on whether this is Ajax the lesser or Ajax the greater. I'm assuming Ajax There are multiple. There are multiple Ajaxes, yes. <laughs> and none of them are cleaning uh cleaning yeah. <laughs> product. <laughs> So yeah, the um the studies, uh is bugging Ajax. Um like a younger brother. James, you're a younger brother. I'm sure you have been Yeah. Yeah. I've done a bit of bugging in my time. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, the Thersides and Ajax are uh, are grouchy and then Achilles and Patroclus show up. Um and they get in on the action and Thersides is mean to Patroclus as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just mean to everyone, really. I don't even remember what the point of this scene is, except that they're all just mean to each other. <laughs> yeah. I, my notes just say, Thersides and Ajax quarrel. Yes. That's it. 
Um, I think it's mostly just introducing us to these characters because we haven't mm. really seen them yet. Yeah. So it's mostly being like, this is what these guys are like. They're all meatheads. They are. Yeah. They are all meatheads. <laughs> yeah, if you're, I don't know, you think about how you'd cast it later. Meanwhile, in Troy, this now is the trolley the problem scene. scene. The Trojans <laughs> quarrel. Um, and this is where it, it's both... It's both a war conversation, but it's also a domestic conversation because it's Priam and his sons arguing about whether they keep fighting to keep Helen and Paris together. Yeah, or or not, or not, mm. just to, or to give her back. Mm-hmm. This is this is why you know nepotism never really works out. Once you start making your sons your generals, mm. you're just all the family business is going to get dragged into your to your war room. Yeah, so Hector initially is on the side of giving Helen back. He's basically like, listen, <laughs> let Helen go. Um, yep. He says, since since the first sword was drawn about this question, every tithe soul amongst many thousand dismas hath been as dear as Helen, right? Like, it, she's not more valuable than all of the thousands of Trojan lives that we have lost in trying yeah, there, to keep her in Troy. There's a lot of this imagery about value and worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very economical. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, like, it, talk about objectification. Like, mm-hmm. as much as I am kind of sympathetic to Hector's argument that, like, is it worth one person to have this massive 10-year war? He's very, um, he says to Troilus, brother, she is not worth what she does, what she doth cost the holding. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's all very uh, objectifying <laughs> of mm-hmm. Helen. And, of course, she's not in the room to speak right. for herself. She- yeah, she doesn't get to have an opinion on this. No, no, no. Um, and Troilus is on Paris's side. So Paris obviously wants to keep Helen in Troy because they're so in love. And uh, Troilus is is on his brother Paris's side. And eventually they talk Hector around after and, a great many very long speeches. And Cassandra shows up. Yeah, Cassandra in... Like, one of my favorite speeches in the play, actually, and it's only about ten lines. Yeah, she's so Cassandra is, um, in the mythology, she is cursed with uh, the ability to see the future, but also the the curse that no one will ever believe her prophecy. Yeah. So she comes in. (laughs) Like, just being a woman in day-to-day life. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. It's like, oh, so how things really go (laughs) then. Cassandra's just like extra, yes. extra woman. Yeah, so she comes in and she's like, listen, everything's going to go to hell unless you let Helen go. This is not going to end well for us. Troy burns or else let Helen go. And then she leaves. She just comes in, she says her bit, and then she's gone again. Yeah, it's really fast. It's like a page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it literally is like 15 lines. And that's uh, done for the play. She comes back later. Oh, uh, okay. But like a lot later. Right. She must be doubling with somebody, mm. right? Because she must be doubling with like one of the minor brothers, I think, um, practically speaking. But still, she deserves much more of a part because she's very cool. Yeah. <sighs> All right. So they eventually, after a great many very long speeches, I actually have written in the margins of this scene so many speeches with like five E's in speeches. <laughs> This this is another scene that you take the editing scissors to. Yeah. Like, cut, 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 cut. It is. It genuinely is very like the men are talking. 
Mm. Is that why she only gets 10 lines? Yeah, she literally just like pokes her head in like, guys, I have a prophecy. No one cares? Yeah. Okay, bye. No, one cares. Yeah. no, the men are talking. <laughs> I'm just saying you're all going to die. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. It's a shame though, because what happens to Cassandra after the war is genuinely horrifying. And mm -hmm. she knew all along that this was how it was going to be. Nobody listened. And then, so they agree that they're going to keep Helen and they're going to keep fighting. Screen wipe back to Greece. Yep. <laughs> We're just bouncing back and forth. And again, back to trying to convince Achilles to battle and fight yep. again. And he still doesn't want to. Nobody is, is happy. Agamemnon shows up in person to be like, listen, I need to talk to Achilles. Um, initially, they won't let him talk to Achilles. <laughs> and, uh, finally, he does get to talk to Achilles. Uh, no, Ulysses gets to talk to Achilles, doesn't he? He goes in with Patroclus and, and talks to Achilles and comes out and says, sorry. Yeah, Achilles definitely not is not going to fight. Yeah. Not going to happen. Um, but in the meantime, they're sort of letting Ajax big himself up and they're like being catty behind his back about how he's just as bad as Achilles really if people don't like Ajax. <laughs> yeah. He's, I mean, he's, he is your classic meathead. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He's, um, he's very like in a cartoon would be bench pressing a car kind of guy. <laughs> I'm thinking of, um, what's the guy in Popeye, the villain? Oh yeah. Bluto. Is it? I don't remember. It's been a long yeah. time since yeah. I saw any Popeye. There you go. But yeah, that guy. That guy. <laughs> So yeah, the upshot of the scene is that uh, Achilles is not going to fight. Mm -hmm. Ajax is going to fight and nobody's happy about it. <laughs> is that fair to say? Yeah. I think what this tells me so far is that bureaucracy was alive and well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we think it's a today problem, but <laughs> the Greeks were doing it at Troy. That's <laughs> true. Ugh. Yes. And that's act two. <laughs> yep, that's act two. Um, and then in act three, we finally meet Helen and we get we get this one weird standalone scene that tonally feels very different from the rest of the play where Helen and Paris are like throwing a party, sort of. I mean, it's not really a party, but they're they're not <laughs> acting like, like a war's going on. They're like, let's listen to music. Let's eat some food. Woo. Oh, Pandora's sing us a song. Sing us a song. Yeah. <laughs> And the, the only, like, plot thing that's important in this scene is that Pandarus says to Paris, oh, um, your brother Troilus is not going to be at dinner tonight, so just tell your father that he's excused. Like, don't, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And Paris is like, oh, he's going to be with Cressida, isn't he? And Pandarus is like, I didn't say that. <laughs> Nobody said that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, it, it's a really, like, it's a really weird scene. I think actually to me, one of the things that immediately makes it feel weird is when, is the very beginning when Pandarus is like talking to this servant randomly and yeah. they're making some wordplay jokes that all hinge on Lord being like someone you're a servant of, but also like the Lord God. And these people are pagans, <laughs> right? Like it's Troy. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just this weird like blip in a play that I think otherwise has a lot of like classical deities getting mentioned left, right and center. 
all of a sudden they're like, the Lord be praised. And everyone's supposed to laugh because that's what you say in church. But it's like, hang on a minute. (laughs) The Lord? (laughs) The Lord? There's like 50. Yeah. This is a polytheistic culture, sir. I mean, to be fair, Shakespeare mixes his deities a lot. He does. Yeah, he does. But I think it just stood out given that the scene kind of doesn't make a lot of sense anyway. And then you're like, wait, what? (laughs) We're just, we're just breaking, breaking all the rules in this one. So, yeah. And then there's a song about orgasms, I think. What's it called? Uh, Love, love, nothing but love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, These lovers cry. Oh, oh, they die. That that seems pretty clear. Yeah. 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 Oh, oh, a while, but ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Is it funny? I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a I really mean, weird song. <laughs> they say if you can't laugh, you know, while That's you're, true. It, you're probably not doing it right. You know? That's true. You can't have fun with your partner. Mm, but true. like, maybe not mid-cum. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what you want to hear. No. <laughs> you, you don't want to hear laughter. <laughs> this is always one of those those moments where I love reading the editorial notes because I'm always curious. So like, how are they going to tip around or are they going to like come out and use anatomical words or, you right. know? <laughs> yes, I've got the, um, the Arden 3 in front of me, which is yep. David Bevington's edition. And he glosses the wound to kill yeah. as um, something that can also be read erotically. But what seems like a deadly assault on the wound or pudenda <laughs> turns a cry of pudenda. alarm into an expression of ecstasy. I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever heard the word pudenda. <laughs> no. in, like I'm familiar, but I don't know why I know that word because I've never seen it anywhere. <laughs> pudenda. Pudenda. Wow. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a... Shakespeare character. <laughs> Some kind of like lusty widow. Yeah. <laughs> called Pudenda. The widow Pudenda. <laughs> yeah, I could see well, it. It's like a restoration comedy character. Yeah. Yeah. That's like a that's like a sixteen sixty-three kind of character. <laughs> <laughs> With a real woman playing the role. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> Woo. Getting wild there. Whoa. Boobs on stage. <laughs> and then there's like another really weird thing at the end where Paris is like, come on, Helen, let's undress Hector together. What? Does he want a three-way? I don't know. It's so random. There's, um, they, they say like, oh, everyone's coming in from the field of battle. And he says, sweet Helen, I must woo you to help unarm our Hector. Well, and here we get the, that sort of language of whiteness again, because he says, mm-hmm. His stubborn buckles, with these your white enchanting fingers touched, shall more obey than to the edge of steel or force of Greekish sinews. Mm-hmm. So she's both white supremacist and in a three-way with her brother-in-law? It's, it's just a weird scene, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what to tell you. That's what they were into. I guess. I mean, it might be, I guess, a reference to the fact that... that Greeks in general were perceived as more sort of like lushes when it came to sex than yeah. early modern English people. Mm. That they're just sort of generally sexier. 
I don't know. And I think in production history, that's something that a lot of productions will will use to sort of differentiate the Greeks and the Trojans. Mm. Yeah, because the Trojans are supposed to be like like us, like the English people. Mm. And the Greeks are supposed to be like the other ones. Oh, colonizers? Right. Mm, yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which is why we're so obsessed with how white they are. <sighs> okay, so then, Act 3, Scene 2. Finally, Finally. Charles and Cressida <laughs> are going to meet each other. So they've never met? They've never met. We, they've never well, met. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They've, they've, like, seen each other. They've, like, texted. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, they swiped, swiped right, but there's no... <laughs> right? I've never used Tinder. Do you swipe yeah, right? Yeah, that's like, correct. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Um, yeah. So yeah, they're finally going to meet, and Pandros is being extremely awkward about it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, James, I just need you for a minute to picture one of my uncles setting us up on a date, but then, like, staying for the date. <laughs> I could honestly see that happening, to be <laughs> honest. And commenting, too. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, you dummy? Yeah, like... <laughs> Get her a drink. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Like, Sanders has this line where he's like, have you not done talking yet? Shouldn't, shouldn't you be doing the next step? <laughs> shouldn't you be talking? But then he won't stop talking. So there's all these, like, stage directions of them, like, kissing, and they're essentially, like, making out in front of him, and he just, like, will not shut up and leave. <laughs> he's sort of just, yeah. like, gross in the corner being like, ha-ha, you're gonna have sex, ha-ha. Yeah, and not only like you're gonna have sex, like I'm gonna supply you with the bed. So, <laughs> so like, come to my house and have sex in my house. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cressida that's, also does. It's a weird uncle. It's a weird. It's a weird thing for an uncle to do, right? <laughs> it's a little much. Bit of a red flag. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get, I don't know. I'm trying to justify it, and I don't think I can. There's also a lot of language in this scene about um, capture, and that's, like, kind of casting Cressida as this, like, fragile bird that's been captured by Troilus. Um, so Pandora says she fetches her breath as short as a new tame sparrow, like a sparrow that's been caught in a, in a net. Like, her breathing is rapid and shallow. Um, and then he compares her to, like, a falcon that you'd have, like, for um, sport hunting later as well um so she's all kinds of birds yeah 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 okay. yeah and she's of all kinds of a lot tamed. of a lot of language around fidelity mm -hmm. and then she like she finally starts talking <laughs> and then she like apologizes for talking so much wow well yeah. there is a little bit like you see why people bring up the romeo and juliet because juliet has a bit of the thing where she's like oh, I shouldn't, if I say how I feel, you'll think I'm immodest. And mm -hmm. Cressida similarly uh, has had that message told to her by society. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So she finally like confesses that she has loved him for a really long time. And then in the same speech is like, oh, but actually I don't. I mean, I do, but I, I shouldn't say that I do. And if I confess much, you will play the tyrant. Right. Like, if I tell you mm. how much I love you, then you've got all the power. Yeah. Mm. Which is kind of a sad way to live your life, actually. And then there's all this fidelity stuff 
um, as Charlene said. And Pandros is like, great, we've made a bargain. You're going to come to my house where I have a bed. And <laughs> I'm going to watch you in the corner. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he doesn't not say that. Um, yeah. So he, he whisks them away to bed. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. in the very next scene, there is a trade brokered where uh, they're going to trade Cressida for a tenor who's been mm-hmm. a prisoner. Yeah. So they've got this Trojan guy who's been captured. Yeah. And Cressida's dad, who has defected to the Greek side. Cal- Calchus? Calchus? Yeah, I mean, that sounds right. I didn't bring yeah. my uh, pronunciation book with me. <laughs> I don't know if he's more like Italian or more right. Greek. Cal. We'll call him Cal. There you go. He, um, yeah, good old Cal, has, uh, has defected to the Greek side from Troy, and he's Cressida's dad. And he says, well, I'll get you Cressida, who for some reason the Greeks really want. Like, this this feels like a plot twist that we've got no context for. Right. He's just like, I know you really want Cressida, so I can get you Cressida if mm. you'll give Antenor back. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So she's essentially being treated like a prisoner of war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's just like a bargaining chip. So Agamemnon's like, great, send Diomedes to go and get her. Um, and then they all parade past Achilles and ignore him. <laughs> <laughs> to make him mad, which is just like it is classic, like passive aggressive office right. behavior, right? right. <laughs> like, it's like, oh, this guy we don't like in the office. When he says good morning to us, we're just not going to say anything. What does Achilles do? Like, <laughs> in general, he kind of just hangs well, out in his yeah. tent, basically, yeah. not fighting. Yeah, <laughs> that's his mo. I'm here at this war, but I'm not going to fight. Well, he's hanging out with Patroclus. Yeah, his lover. And remember, he... Oh, oh, yeah. And remember, he didn't want to come to the war in the first place. That's fair. He's he's been kind of conscripted into this war. And so he sort of is like, well, I'll come, but I'm not going to fight. I'm just going to take up space and eat the rations. That's fair. Yeah, he's sort of... I mean, he doesn't want to come to the extent that he disguises himself as a woman and hides out on a random island for, like, years before they find him, before the war starts. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a lot of effort. It is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It's initiative. Is it, or is it his, I think it's his mother that doesn't want him there? Like, his mother and Petrog? I don't know. It's been a long time since I did <laughs> Greek mythology. But... He didn't, he didn't want to be there in the first place, is the point. So he's been kind of dragged to the war. But Achilles is obviously upset that nobody wants to talk to him, and Ulysses stays back uh, and with another extremely long speech tries to kind of co- sort of talk him round to getting involved in the war um, or, or to kind of make him jealous of Ajax, basically. Um, so he says, well, you know, you have done great deeds. Yes, you're a great warrior. Yes. But what have you done for us lately? You know, um, I love this line. Uh, uh, and give to dust that is a little guilt more laud than guilt or dusted. Right. So if you've got gold, but it's got dust on it, no one's going to pay attention to that. But mm-hmm. if you've got, a, a, you know, something like dust that isn't worth anything, but it's got a little bit of gold on top and it's sparkly, 
people are going to gravitate to that. Mm-hmm. And he's saying Achilles is the the guilt or dusted. He's the golden thing that is a bit dusty. Whereas Ajax is the less mm-hmm. good thing, but he's got a bit of sparkle on him. Mm-hmm. So people are going to be drawn to that. So yeah, Achilles is uh, <laughs> is not thrilled at this. He also tells him that his son is going to be embarrassed of him <laughs> if he doesn't fight. Um, and yeah. Yeah, so I think the upshot of the scene is that he does agree to fight, doesn't he? I think so, because he does say, like, um, this is where he finds out that Ajax and Hector are going to fight, and he says, oh, right. I, see, I see my reputation is at stake. Mm. That's it. He sends a letter to Ajax. Yeah. And he Achilles, Achilles leaves the scene with his mind troubled, so maybe I guess a decision hasn't quite been made yet. He's not got a lot of time, though, because we are into Act 4. Yep, Ooh. here we are. Yeah, moving swiftly now. Um, so Diomedes has gone to Troy and has brought Antenor with him and yes. has told them, you know, that uh, old Cal promised him a trade. And so Aeneas and Paris are bringing him, or well, Aeneas meets Paris, who is bringing Diomedes to where Cressida lives. And they run into uh, Aeneas and Paris kind of pulls Aeneas aside and is like, listen, I'm pretty sure my brother Troilus is at Cressida's house right now. So maybe you could just run ahead and tell them what's happening so that Troilus doesn't get caught there. Right. Because all of a sudden we care about propriety. Yeah. Uh, and so, and then and Paris there's, there's and Diomedes. nasty talk about Helen. Yeah. Too. <laughs> yeah. It's, um... So Diomedes, being Greek, has a a very uh, negative view of Helen, (laughs) and he is pretty rude to Paris as well, Um, and he calls her a whore, and it's all very nasty. Um, Paris kind of surprisingly doesn't take the bait, but there we are. Okay, so then we get Troilus and Cressida in their uh, happy, happy morning after place where they don't know that the trade yep. has happened and, and bad things are about to go down. So they, Pandarus they shows up again. The, the morning after scene like Romeo and Juliet have like that one yeah. moment where they before they have to separate. Yeah, whereas Romeo and Juliet know that they've only yeah. got this one night and then they have then Romeo's banished. Sorry, spoiler alert, James. Troilus and Cressida don't know yet what's happening. And then Pandarus shows up to be like, hey, did you do it? And Cressida's like, oh my God, you're so weird. <laughs> She's like, very leave like, alone. leave me alone, Uncle Pandarus. Why are you here? And then Aeneas shows up with his massive buzzkill, um, informing everyone that uh, this trade has happened and that Cressida has to go with the Greeks. And nobody really fights for her, including no, Troilus. She- yeah, this is the whole thing that gets me. She freaks out, sort of understandably, that she, like an object, is being traded away to her homeland's enemy after she has de facto married Troilus. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of like, yeah, we have to do it. Yeah, and <laughs> he he's, does... a, he, he's a prince. He's not like just some random yeah. Trojan. He's literally like a prince of Troy and nobody does anything for her. And there's a um, there's a line that Troilus has right at the start or that Paris has right at the start of the next scene where uh, they sort of show up to kind of take her away. And 
He says, I know what tis to love and would as I should pity, as I shall pity, I could help. And it's like, Paris, you could help. We're fighting a whole ass war over the woman that you want to be with. (laughs) So you can't step up for your baby brother here. Yeah. And there's all this and there's there's these quick scenes in in succession Mm -hmm. that deal with the trading of Cressida in Act 4. You know, and so at the start of the next one, when it actually has to happen, like it starts with Pandarus telling Cressida to be moderate. And you're like, she's about to go be assaulted and you're telling her to calm down. Right. Like everybody knows what happens when women get captured in war. Right. Like this is leading nowhere good. I actually love the speech she has at the start of that scene. Why tell you me of moderation? The grief is fine, full, perfect that I taste and violent in a sense as strong as that which causes it. How can I moderate it? Yeah. She's very, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good description of grief. <laughs> and what she discovers is like none of her people, no one in Troy stands up for her. They're all, they're all content to be like, yep, bye. Mm-hmm. And Troilus actually, like, walks her to the wall and is like, yep, come on, Cressida, let's go. They have this, yeah, they have this shared line where she says, I must then to the Grecians, and his response is, no remedy. Two words. That's all. He, that's what he says. Yeah. He pretty much just rolls over. There's yeah. absolutely no... But yeah. he does this whole thing where it's like, but you better promise to be faithful to me. <laughs> While you're kidnapped. While, While you're, you're kidnapped. Pretty explicitly. Yeah. You know, to be partnered with someone or someones in the Greek army. Yeah. Yeah. He's very, um, he, he's an asshole in this scene, yes. frankly. <laughs> There's no, like, gentler way to put it. Um, he's very, very concerned with her being, quote unquote, faithful to him. Mm-hmm. In the context of literally being captured by the opposing army. If he's that bothered, should have been fighting harder. He should have. Exactly. He should have. They, sh- they should have to be, like, physically restraining him. And yeah, Paris, yeah. you would think. Mm. He has very little emotional reaction to it. Mm-hmm. You know, Other than, which, you better not fuck anybody. Right. And it is one moment that I find really interesting that finally after going through this again and again where Crescent is like, are you really going to make me do this? Is this is really happen? And Troilus is like, yep, yep, yep. She finally says, oh heavens, you love me not. Which I think is like an amazing realization and actually mm-hmm. quite smart that that like he is not being a partner here at all. Mm. Yeah. He's um and and she does she challenges him on the yeah. the kind of faithfulness thing like more than once. Yeah, um, I think often we don't give Cressida enough credit. Part of that is because the play makes her disappear after a certain point. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but people yeah. keep wanting to see this play from Troilus's point of view. Well, people, male <laughs> directors, <laughs> yeah, want to see this play from Troilus's cre- point of view. Which requires uh, looking at Cressida through a misogynistic lens. Yeah. And like blaming her for everything that happens. It's just, and I just can't imagine 
the mindset of like, I've, I've just met somebody I'm deeply like, imagine like the week after we met James, we're like in the, in the flush of first love, somebody is like, Oh, would you, could you just like trade this person to these kidnappers for at really no cost to you? I mean, it'd be fine as long as you didn't have sex with them. <laughs> oh, he gets he gets the play. He gets it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just can't. I, I, yeah, it's it's the moment that like I feel like we see in the kind of um, by Felipe meme where you're like, okay, this person is interesting. I can see myself with this person. Like he seems kind of cool. And then out of nowhere, it's like some massively misogynist thing. You're like, okay. Mm. Yeah. Never mind. Never mind. Right. And oh, there is this, this interesting contrast between the two love triangles, right? Because you have mm-hmm. Paris and Helen and Menelaus and that causing a giant war. And then, you have Troilus and Cressida and soon to be Diomed and nothing. What what happens is very different. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There is no war fought over getting Cressida back. Yeah. Not even, they don't even consider it. No, it's like not a priority for anybody. And actually, even when, I mean, we're not quite there yet, but even when Troilus is kind of there in the Greek camp and spying on her, he makes no attempt to rescue her. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't there, is even, isn't there something he says even where he's like, she's like, oh, when will we see each other again? And he says, well, I'll bribe the Greek guards so I can see you every day. Like, well, nothing. if you can bribe them yeah. <laughs> to see her, can you not stage a rescue? It's all quite half-assed. Troilus has not thought it through. Um, but you'll be happy about this, James. They exchange love tokens. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like love tokens love tokens well that was earlier (laughs) regular listeners will know that uh, that was with the uncle in the room yeah (laughs) james um thought that love tokens were like a like a coupon that you give your lover for particular sex acts that you want (laughs) i mean that's a thing too yeah yeah but no they give each other um a sleeve and uh what does she give very sexy It's like a favor. Yeah. Like, um, because of course, clothes in this period had detachable sleeves. Um, So it's some kind of ornamental sleeve that Troilus gives to Cressida. And she gives him, what, like a bracelet or something? A bracelet, I think, yeah. That's it, yeah. So they have these tokens, which, as in Cymbeline, become important later on. Okay. All right. So yeah, off off, uh, she goes. And nobody tries to stop it. Then we're back in the Greek camp. Uh, this. Yeah, which is, I think this might be my least favorite scene in the play. It's a lot. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. So Cressida shows up with Diomedes and all of the Greek generals are like, we should kiss her. Wow. Mm-hmm. And she's essentially like passed down the line and they kiss her one by one. Yep. Um, and Patroclus gets two. Yeah, and this this scene is often very key to figuring out the sort of priorities and viewpoints of a production mm-hmm. in what they think it means or whether they pay any attention to what it would be like for Cressida to go through this this assault. It's an assault. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, I mean, I, I hesitate to say strong female lead, but Cressida, I think, is great in this scene because she is is really capable of kind of thinking on her feet and going, okay, how am I going to get myself out of this? Um, and she tries to kind of rely on her wit, basically. And she kind of has this, this bit of verbal sparring with Menelaus that he's not very happy about. Um, and then Ulysses is like, ah, yeah, she's my kind of gal because she's really smart. So there's still like, even when she's trying to kind of take control of the situation, there's still mm. this like objectifying gaze on yeah. her. Well, and she potentially manages to talk her way out of one or two of the kisses after having an endure, endured a whole bunch of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think she has to do that thing that we're familiar with where like, <laughs> you're trying to keep your distance, but you can't, you also can't make a man angry mm-hmm. or you're in more danger. Yeah. Which she so is. She's, she's, sort an of... enemy, she's in enemy territory, surrounded mm-hmm. by a bunch of soldiers. Mm-hmm. And she's really young. I mean, if we think she's really Troy, young. Troilus mm-hmm. is maybe kind of late teens, early twenties, so she's she's really twenty at the oldest. Poor Cressida. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I mean, having said this is my least favorite scene, it does have my favorite stage direction, which is flourish, enter all of Troy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All of Troy. A whole population of Troy. Everybody in Troy enters all at once. Um, what they mean is like all all the named people we recognize from Troy. Right. Um, all the men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the Trojan army is what they mean. Um, but I, I just love the phrasing, enter all of Troy. Mm. Yeah. And then um, Ajax and Hector finally fight one-on-one, which is something the play has been talking about for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a draw? Yeah. Or they like, uh, they just. That's anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcome to yeah. Troilus and Cressida. <laughs> what was the point of that? They drew. And it's not even like, they just sort of agree to stop fighting. Like, it's yeah. not like. They just get bored. They're just tired. <laughs> they don't want to anymore. And then Hector goes and has dinner with the Greek army. What? I can't. I don't even really know how to explain it. It feels like a half-assed war. <laughs> well, this is it. Like, if the except war... for the women, right? Right. Like the war is so important, and the, the success in the war is so important that we have to sacrifice Cressida. But we can just casually have dinner with the enemy in their tents, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's. I mean, plot-wise, it's very handy that they're there because. What happens is that uh, Troilus has an opportunity to go and spy on Cressida. So, oh, it's one of those. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it's sort of a plot device. Um, Armistice dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So Ulysses says that he will take Troilus to go and see where Cressida is. And uh, he doesn't like what he sees. Nope. Then we we move into the interminable Act 5. Yeah, the 11 scene Act 5. What were you on, Shakespeare? Like, by the time we get to Act 5, we want a big battle and or a wedding, and then we go home. We don't get either, really. Speeches. (laughs) We want lots of speeches. (laughs) We want new characters we've never seen before. We want women being objectified and speeches. 
Well, have I got the play for you? <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's all here in Act 5. Um, so Achilles decides that he will fight Hector after all. Um, and he has a great insult to Thersites. He calls him a crusty batch of nature. <laughs> a batch of nature? Not just a batch of nature, a crusty batch Crust. of nature. Wow. Mm-hmm. Batch of nature sounds like some sort of like organic oat bar or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's what, like what a marathon runner eats. Yeah. <laughs> mile 20. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, that's that's what Achilles thinks uh, Thersites is. A crusty one, yeah. An old one. Yeah, a nasty, crusty one. One you forgot that was in the cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's been sitting in the back of the bottom of the hiking bag. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you find it, like, under the seat in the car six months later. <laughs> crusty. Um, so, yeah, Thersites and Patroclus and Achilles are mean to each other again for a while. Yep. They're still having a dinner party. <laughs> In the middle of a war. In the middle of the war with their enemies. I, just, I don't know. Maybe the world would be a better place if we could all dine with our <laughs> dine with enemies. our enemies. Yeah. So they're at the party. Um, Achilles is making fun of Hector uh, and saying how much he could definitely beat him. I mean, that just sounds like someone who's going to lose. <laughs> right? yeah. They're just trying to avoid having a fight. They're just like, well, I'm not going to fight you because I just know I'm going to win. Yeah. That's someone who doesn't want to fight. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately for Hector, it uh, doesn't quite work out that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you? I feel like you probably know what happens to Hector if you reach into the recesses of your memory far I'm enough. I'm trying to remember the film. Yeah. <laughs> so what does Brad Pitt do? Oh my god, it's been forever <laughs> since I've seen that movie. Who plays Hector? I can't remember. Oh, it's um. No, I only remember Gerard that Butler, is Orlando it? Bloom Eric is Banner? Paris. No. Yes, I remember Orlando Bloom is Paris. I remember yeah. Brad Pitt is Achilles. Achilles. Mm-hmm. Is it oh, Eric Bana? It. I feel like it might be, but it someone of that ilk. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so try and remember Brad Pitt and Eric Bana or similar. Or <laughs> <laughs> <was> similar. <laughs> Do you have any memory of what happens to Hector? He dies, doesn't he? Yes. In yeah. in what manner does he die? He gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> Would you care to venture anything more specific? In the war. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> after he's dead? After he's dead? Mm, yes. No, I don't know. Okay. All right. Well, we'll, we'll save that as a surprise then. Um, all right. So <laughs> Act 5, Scene 2. Um, we have uh, Troilus and Ulysses spying on Cressida and Diomedes. Uh, so she's and, essentially yeah. been given to Diomed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as like a war prize. By her own dad, which... Ooh. Cold. Yeah, she's got very um, meddling male relatives. Mm-hmm. And it it's tough because, because Troilus is spying on the scene, it's written so that we see it through his viewpoint. Mm-hmm. And her whole thing is, oh, she's cheating on me, how dare she? And it's like, she's 
been kidnapped. <laughs> right. And like is in she, an enemy camp. She doesn't have a ton of options. No. Mm. And, well, and she's she's in a situation where her choices are sort of coercion or rape, right? Like yeah. those are those are the options. Either you sort of go willingly enough or it's going to hurt more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And isn't there am I remembering correctly that there's kind of a suggestion if like if she pisses Diomed off, basically she's free reign for the entire Greek army. I think that is the implication. Yeah. yeah. That he's like I can protect you, but Right. If I'm mad at you, then I won't. Yeah. Um, which is how he gets the sleeve from her. Right. So he wants a love token from her. She probably doesn't have that much with her because she literally got dragged out of her bed and mm-hmm. to Greece. So she uh, sort of gives him Troilus' sleeve, but then tries to take it back again. But then Diomedes is like, no, I want it. Give it to me. And they sort of fight over it, and and eventually he does get it. And he says, I'm going to wear this on my helmet in the battle tomorrow, and whoever your lover is will be sure to challenge me, and I'll kill him. Yeah. Yeah. What take? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Troilus sees all this, and his takeaway is that Cressida is faithless. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, and to be fair to Troilus, not a sentence I say very often, but Shakespeare helps him out. Because he also gives Cressida like five lines after yeah. Diomedes leaves where she she laments that she, you know, she she still is thinking about Troilus, um, but she also finds Diomedes attractive as well. So it's yeah. a little like. <laughs> to which Thersides response is a proof of strength. She could not publish more unless she said my mind is now turned whore. Wow. Yeah. So not only do we get this little speech from Cressida, we then get somebody interpreting for us being like, in case you missed what I was doing here, I'm saying she's a whore. Which is also what happens in the Greek camp scene when Mm -hmm. she's trying to, you know, protect herself as best she can. That section ends with Ulysses describing her attitude and behavior um, in a really misogynistic way. And so the way the play is written, like we're supposed to read Cressida through Ulysses' misogynistic opinion. Mm-hmm. And then Troilus's. And then Thersites. Yeah. 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 Everybody's hating on Cressida. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, I think, the last time we see her in the play. Yeah. She's no longer relevant. Yeah, she's just gone. Wow. Yep. So Troilus is um, big mad about this. He says, this isn't my Cressida anymore. This is Diomed's Cressida and I want nothing Mm -hmm. to do with her. Um, And I'm super sad about it, but also I will kill him in the battle. And Ulysses is like, well, I did all I could do here. (laughs) I'll take you to the gates of of Troy. See you tomorrow. Party's over. Go home. (laughs) And then in the next scene, we've, we finally meet Andromache. Hector's and this wife. is also where Cassandra oh, yeah. shows up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of new people we've never heard of before, um, in Act 5, Andromache is Hector's wife. 
mm-hmm. who also has a, a horrifying post-Trojan War yeah. life. Uh, and yeah, she and Cassandra, and then eventually Priam, who's his dad, are all trying to convince Hector not to go into battle that day. They've all had bad dreams. Uh. just know it's going to end badly. Um, and then Hector tries to convince Troilus not to go into the battle that day. Is that something you can do? Just be like, yeah, don't be going in the battle. I guess when you're the prince. Oh, that's fair. sick to work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a bit of a cough. <laughs> can't battle today. Yeah, nope. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, dad. I can't fight today. <laughs> it's a bit like um, my mom says I can't. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you want to go out and play. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I think you're still a bit under the weather. Or you had a fever yesterday. You shouldn't go anywhere. It's it's that kind of thing. Um, right. And it's, yeah, Hector is uh, not to be deterred. He is going into battle. Troilus is not to be deterred. He is going into battle. Um, they all go into battle. And the next scene, Thersites uh, describes the battle to us. Oh, right. But right before you sort of get the last little bit about Cressida, which is oh, dangerous. Yeah shows up with a letter to Troilus from Cressida and he reads it, but he doesn't tell us what it says. And he, he basically like rips it up and throws it away. And we, as the audience have no idea what this letter says. So Cressida's final words of the play are withheld from us. Yeah. So her last attempt to try and speak for herself. Bye-bye. And then we get Alarum and excursions, which is the battle. And Thersites comes in and he's summarizing for us. Yeah, fair to say. Yeah, yeah. He's sudden, he, this is the section where he becomes the commentator. Yeah. Um, and we get lots of like little skirmishes that we get a yeah. glimpse of and then they move on. So we get right. Troilus and Diomedes fighting. And then <laughs> Hector hilariously comes in and says to Thersites, are you a Greek? I'll kill you. And Thersites is like, no, I'm just a rascal. And Hector's like, I believe you. Bye. <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah, it's very so gullible. Funny. He is. He's, he's meathead. He is, I don't know, John Cena or something. Right. If, uh, if, what, if Ajax is the rock. Then <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's weird because, right, we've been primed to expect this battle between Diomed and Troilus, and it starts, but then it moves off stage. But... Neither of them kills the other. Mm-hmm. You know, what? in the next scene, Diomedes shows up again. And I mean, he yeah. says, I have chastised the amorous Trojan, but he's still alive. Yeah, because he comes back again at the end. And he gives her Troilus's horse for, I guess, oh, yeah. no reason except to be like, haha, I beat Troilus. Yeah. I guess the the implication is that Troilus was losing so badly that he ran away from the battle. Yeah. Mm. To save his life. So, wouldn't die for Cressida. Yeah. He's pathetic. He continues to be pathetic. Okay. Then we get uh, Patroclus dies, but like off stage, and we know nothing about it until he's already dead and his body gets brought. I know, I see you rolling your eyes, James. This (laughs) (laughs) This is again one of those like, really crucially important moments because it's the thing that convinces Achilles to actually fight. Um, But we don't see it happen. We just get the body brought on and Nestor tells us about it. And then Ulysses comes in and says that Achilles is so upset about Patroclus being killed that he's going to get out and fight finally. And 
yeah, the, the end of Act 5, Scene 5 is Achilles saying, like, where's Hector? I'm going to kill him. But then in 5-6, Troy Lewis is like, okay, I'm going to fight Diam- Diomed again. And Ajax, for And some Ajax reason. together. And again, <laughs> they start fighting, and then they go off stage. And, they <laughs> <laughs> and Hector's like, good job, Troy Lewis. And then Achilles comes in, um, and they fight. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, the, and then that battle gets taken off stage as well. There's another little ex- where Margaretin, or however you say that son of oh, Priam, yeah. shows up, which he has not really, I don't think he's been a character much at all he's in the not play. Not really. No, but he shows up and he gets into a fight with Thersites. Because they're both bastards. Because they're both bastards. Right. <laughs> And so they run off fighting. Yeah. And then finally, after much delay, we get to Hector and Achilles proper in mm-hmm. five nine. Or what modern editors call five nine. Yes. So Hector and Achilles fight, um, but the the kind of implication is that Achilles can't beat Hector in single combat. So he gets his Myrmidons, who are his like personal soldiers that he's brought with him who also haven't been fighting in the war up to this point because he's said not to, to um, overwhelm Hector, basically, and and to kill him. Yeah, and Hector is also, like, unarmed. Like, he had partially taken his armor off when Achilles finds him. And yeah, he's sort of... He in, thinks he's done for the day. Yeah, in the sort of chivalrous rules of battle, that's not an appropriate time to attack. Mm. No, but Achilles they were on a like, break. I don't care. They were on break. Yeah. It was a timeout. It was. <laughs> so, yeah, the implication is that Achilles kills Hector through unhonorable means. Yeah. And Hector would totally have beaten him in a fair fight. Mm. Mm-hmm. 510, we're nearly there. We get all of the Greeks coming in, marching, um, and they find out that Hector has been killed, that Achilles has killed him. Um, and they are very happy about this. <laughs> they say, Agamemnon says, great Troy is ours and our sharp wars are ended. Little does he know there's another three years of war to go. Mm-hmm. But hey-ho. Um, and then in the last scene of the play, we get the the Trojans thinking that they've won the battle, but then Troilus comes in and says, actually, Hector's dead. Um, and they hear about how Hector has been tied to Achilles' um, horse, and oh is, yeah, yeah, and gets dragged yeah, around yeah, yeah. the walls of Troy, um, and then Pandarus for some Pandarus reason shows up again <laughs> to give a final monologue. Yeah, because we really care ends, about what he thinks. Yeah, he ends yeah. the play by saying, "I'm really sick." <laughs> yeah, till then I'll sweat and seek about for eases, and at that time bequeath you my diseases. Yep. So yep. presumably he has, like, syphilis or something. Yeah, he's sort of like... He definitely gave off that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a man who knows his way around an STI. Yeah. yeah. And that's he... the end of the play. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's it. Hector dies. I've got syphilis. The end. Yeah. And I'm going to give it to you, audience. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks for coming to our play. <laughs> wow. Yep. So at the end of the play, Hector's dead. No one really knows what happened to Cressida. uh, And there's three more years of war to go. 
And Troilus, what happens to him? Nothing. <laughs> and the the Greek guy, he has a horse. Diomedes has Troilus' yeah. horse. Yep. And Cressida. And Cressida. Okay. Yep. You can see what I mean when I said at the start that it sort of feels like Shakespeare's like, I need to get paid this week. I have to write something. It's yeah. not my best work, guys. Here you go. Yeah. And People he got love to, like the, the end Trojan of War. pages, and he was like, I'm gonna just finish it here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, or he got so far. He got so far through it, and he was like, "Oh shit, it's another three years. I better just wrap it up here." <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a little bit like um, it. It's not the most like logical chunk of the Trojan War to pick, mm. is it? For no. a five act play. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's a it's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah, and so I think in production, a lot of I think this play much like Coriolanus, is one of the plays that directors tend to edit most heavily the ending or or place more things on top of it in order to get a more satisfactory or understandable resolution. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's um it's something. What did the what did your students make of the ending? Did they have any ideas about how they would approach that? No, they, I don't think anyone ended up focusing on the ending. A lot of them wanted to focus on the female characters. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of them focused on the the Trojan family argument when Cassandra comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, a couple did the, the Troilus and Cressida main scene. Actually, a couple, two of them basically wrote their own piece as as like it would be like part or part of a larger adaptation of the play mm-hmm. um and both times they were interested in on on giving more to the female characters and letting their points of view come through mm-hmm. so that's the kind of thing i think the students i was working at w- were mostly interested in um i don't think anyone had big solutions for the end of the play i don't (laughs) yeah i don't either i mean i don't it's such an abrupt ending and i think i even rereading it i was like did i miss something i what happened to cressida like where is the where is the resolution of the story that's in the title of the play Mm, yeah yeah it's a it's a weird ending it's not and i'm not even like I'm not like a a kind of purist about play structure, right? Like I'm into kind of weird multiverse panda um pandemic kind of postmodern. Just, just permanently on your mind. <laughs> I'm into like, you know, I was really into like postmodern things. I'm into nonlinear things. I'm into things that on the surface don't make sense. Um, but I I don't know that this makes sense on any level. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't think this yeah. is like some kind of really avant-garde intervention in play structure by Shakespeare. (laughs) Right. You want to be able to make some sort of coherence out of its incoherence, but you Mm. can't quite even do that. Yeah. I just get the sense he was at like, shit, I'm at Act 5. Better wrap this up. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, I'm out of paper. Yeah, like, (laughs) this is the end? Yeah. No more ink in my quill. We're Mm. done. This is how it ends. Because there's no resolution for the 
as you say, the title characters, like yeah. very least just like they both die or they get married or whatever. That's usually how they end. But <laughs> well, and the fact that it's, it's described as like a comedy in one of the, it, the, so the, what? the imprint of the, um, of the Quarto that has, that says it's never been performed before. There's a kind of, um, dedicatory like passage a with it. Yeah, yeah. Like a preface. Um, that addresses the reader and says that this is a comedy in the style of the the great Roman comedians. Um, right. Tyrus is the joke? And- is the joke like the Greeks? They couldn't even finish a war properly, or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like- a lot of the humor in the play rests around bodiness, particularly yeah. around Pandarus being gross. Mm-hmm. And there's a the the kind of scenes with Thersites where he's sort of mocking Ajax or messing around with Achilles and Patroclus. And there's a, there is a lot of like on a, on a scene by scene level, there are quite a few scenes that you can see are meant to be funny. Um, but if it's a comedy, it, it doesn't, it doesn't meet the criteria of a, of the genre comedy in this. No one's getting married. No one's getting married. There is no (laughs) wedding in this whole play. (laughs) Multiple weddings, I believe is usually happens. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like even, even where we get these kind of, like ambiguous or unsatisfying endings of comedies, like the ending of All's Well That Ends Well, or the end, even the ending of As You Like It, to some extent, it, there's like a little bit of, hmm, interesting, some of these couples maybe are not as uh, <laughs> as voluntary as we'd like them to be. This just doesn't have any, it, it's not ambiguous, no. it just doesn't exist. Mm. Yeah. Which again, it's, it's why a lot of people want it to be a satire kind of critiquing war and its pointlessness and the pomposity mm. of men and male honor, you know? Yeah. But I think even looking at it from that viewpoint, it's going to peter out at some point, you know? Mm. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, I had sort of wondered what would happen if you gave it like the play goes wrong treatment so that you have all these war characters who are like, we're men, we're fighting war, blah, blah, blah. But like in a theatrical sense, everything about the performance is going wrong around them. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe that's a way to sort of provide that sense of satire. Yeah. I could see that working. We, um, one of the people we were out with last night was saying that he saw a production in Hungary once where the two sides, it was like a football match. Mm. Um, so the kind of like masculine posturing was all mm. in the context of, of a football game, um, yeah. which I think kind of makes sense as well. Although I don't yeah. know how many people usually are murdered in football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that and that that kind of sense of like one to one rivalries and and grudges being held over a long period of time mm. and and that sort of that I felt like that all made sense on a kind of macro level. Yeah, just just more killy than football usually mm-hmm. is. Well, and a lot of productions will try to say something about war with it, like they will they will set it in a specific war, mm. you know, like the American Civil War or World War One, the Crimean War the Iraq war, like these have all shown up as inspiration in productions of Troilus and Cressida. Mm. I feel like it's a difficult one to map onto, like particularly something like the Iraq war, where there is a, there's kind of a clear aggressor, right? Well, like, <laughs> and there are a lot of productions that will, will do that where 
the only yeah where the Greeks are the clear aggressors um mm. and and the Trojans are uh the indigenous people whose lands are being attacked mm. but I, I, obviously that sides the audience very clearly and I'm not sure the play makes the Trojans all that likable you know no no and I don't think I don't think the play is that clear that the Trojans don't have any kind of responsibility for the war right like the fact that we have this whole massive scene about should we just give Helen back is a you know however misogynist that framing is and it is it's it's an indication that that the play is kind of asking us to see them as responsible in some way for the continuation of the war. Mm. So speaking of misogyny, shall we um, have some have some ratings? Traditionally, Ooh. we give James first rating. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably quite high. Mm. I don't know if it's right at the top, but it's pretty high. I'm going to go with 8.5. Okay. And your reasons? Well, not really a lot of women in it. And Cressida, the main female character, doesn't really get much agency and gets sort of passed around and objectified. So I don't really think it's a great play for women. And it's all about the men and what the men think. Right, 8.5. Thank you. Um, Charlene, rating? Yeah, I guess I'd give it a 9. Because I think the play always asks us to judge the female characters through the male perspective in very troubling ways. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think it needs to be pretty high up there. Yeah, I think I I agree. I would say a 9. So we, we average out to an 8.8 or something overall. <laughs> um, still pretty high. It's still pretty high. Yeah. I Yeah, I agree. I think um, this is the first play that we've had where an actual sexual assault is implied in the text. Mm-hmm. No, we did the changeling. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what did you rank the changeling? I think it was higher. I think it was higher. I think it was. A- I think I gave it a nine and you gave it a 9.5. Yeah, I think Maybe. we were like. nine point something i think it was just a bit higher just a bit higher yeah yeah Yeah, i think that checks out um so yeah i think this is this is the first shakespeare play we've done where there's a an actual physical assault Mm -hmm. requested in the like implied in the text or or kind of as part of the text as opposed to part of the kind of staging tradition right um so yeah i think that that bumps it up to nine from me um and yeah, as as you said, Charlene, I think just the framing through, literally through the eyes of Troilus, um, in the case of the kind of spying scene, um, makes it, yeah, pretty darn misogynist. Yeah, especially when he his ending just tails off. Yeah, it's like what? It's yeah, he's not a very convincing hero, is he? No, it's yeah. No, it, mm. and there's there was one production in um. 2006 but i forget where i don't have it in my notes where they changed the ending so that like pandarus brought cressida in to kind of ask for forgiveness but troilus like refused and instead ran himself into the spears of the myrmidons <laughs> oh <laughs> so they so they like 
wanted to make him suicidal, even though it seems pretty particular to this play that he's not. And, like, that's, you know, the divergence from Romeo and Juliet. Right. And kind of, yeah, I don't understand the motivation for that. Hmm. Like, even as an actor, with my actor brain on, I'm trying to think, like, okay, why, if I'm... I'm sad that Cressida isn't behaving the way that I want her to behave. But now she's back with me. And my brother just died. Like, I don't think that leads me to run onto the Spears of the Myrmidons. I mean, I think it requires a very personal investment in the idea of female chastity. And that, Mm. like... But even then, I think the... the like the kind of logical progression of that if you're that kind of guy is to kill Cressida. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's the Lavinia ending where she's she's soiled goods now, so I have to get rid of her. It's not it doesn't usually turn itself back on the man. Right. Yeah. I didn't see and I don't know, maybe maybe it was staged so it was more the grief over his brother, but I don't I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't have those details. But you've got 49 other, 48 more, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you have that many brothers, are you yeah. going to miss one? <laughs> oh, we're terrible. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel bad for their mother more than anything, really. Yeah. All right. Amazing. Well, Charlene, thank you so much for coming on the show and being Ooh, part of our... we made it through. Uh, we made it through the third longest play in Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> with the weirdest ending. All right. Fantastic. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It's a huge pleasure to have you. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You've been listening to Not Another Shakespeare Podcast, and this is our pre-recorded outro. If you liked this episode, please review and subscribe. If you hated this episode, maybe share it with a nemesis. You can follow us on social media at Podcast or check out our website, nashakespearepodcast.com. Thanks for listening and see thee next time. And fare thee well.